nowadays, I'm thinking about how do I have a greater contribution? How do I have a greater impact? And it's because I don't want to have the same conversation my dad had with me before he died four years ago, where he looked at me and he said, you know, there were just so many things that I wanted to do and I don't have any time. The truth is if you go and you contribute and you spend time engaging in other people's lives to make their lives better, you're probably going to end up having an offshoot being that your life gets better and better. What I've seen more and more of is, is Amazon's getting into everything, and I see them really finding a way to get people excited about consuming more crap that they don't need with money they don't have to impress people that they don't know. This is the Personal Finance Show. I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is The Personal Finance Show. Damien Lupo wants you to ask yourself, how can I serve and contribute to others in a deep and meaningful way? If you're just chasing dollars without meaning, you could end up rich if you're lucky. But even if you are one of the lucky ones who makes millions, there's a good chance you're going to be miserable. Damien's been there. He made millions and then lost it all. And he wasn't able to get back on track until he found meaning and truth and focused on that instead of just making money. After going through this experience, he and a friend wrote a book called Reinvented Life. Reinvented Life is a process and methodology for stepping into the life you're supposed to be living versus the one you're living today. Personally, I think we should make it a habit of stepping back from our lives and asking, Is what I'm doing adding value to the world? Is what I'm doing fulfilling? Am I making a difference in any way other than lining my pockets? The most important thing to me is that you're living the life that you want and that you chose, rather than just following a path or a checklist made up by someone who has no idea what is best for you. Damien shifted from helping himself get richer to helping others have the life they always wanted. Here is his personal finance story. Yo, Bo, I think the earliest money memory I had was back when I was 11. And it was one of these belief system hammerings for my parents where they said, we don't have money. We, we can't afford to even pay for our house payment and all this stuff. And, and I was trying to get a Nintendo game. Like if you remember Nintendo back in the day. It's now oh, it's I classic, right? It's like people you get these things on Amazon, and it's a classic game system. <laughs> That's right. And, and I got one of the first ones for yeah, sure. Yeah, me too. I mean, I'm, I was really excited, but the problem is, I was told I couldn't, I couldn't get these, I couldn't get the games because we didn't have any money. So I said, I'm going to solve that. And this was the 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 spark of the entrepreneur, where I went and I I figured out how to buy and sell Nintendo games by buying them in bulk and then selling them one at a time after I got done playing with them. So I ended up hiring my parents and I was making some money and getting all the games. So I just solved a problem, which is the basis of any entrepreneur and any, any entrepreneurial activity. It's really just figuring out a problem. Might be yours, might be somebody else's. I just solved a bunch of problems and all of a sudden I had games and cash. And so that was my first cool. real money experience that I can look back and say, okay, 11, age 11, that was my first business. It was my first real push into money and starting to understand how it really worked. Well, where'd you get the capital though? I think I probably started, I mean, I was always doing something, whether it was mowing a lawn or, 
it was something. So it was a couple hundred bucks, you know, when you're 11 yeah. years old, it's not that hard to scratch together a couple hundred bucks, just asking for jobs and, and things. And so it doesn't take a whole lot if you're, if you're willing to hustle and I was willing to hustle. So I ended up with enough capital to go buy six or eight games, 10 games. Cause I would buy them for like 10 bucks a piece. And then I would go and I would play them and then I'd sell them for 25 a piece, but I was buying them 10 or 20 at a time. Well, I'd, I'd like to drill down on this a little bit more. Like how would you know where to go find your source? This was okay. So there's a thing called a newspaper that people probably haven't heard of recently <laughs> in the day in Alaska, where I grew up, which is up North kind of with you, you know, you're up, up North. Yeah. Too. You're way and, further North. Yeah. Yeah. I, they, we had a newspaper and it had a classified section. And for those of you listening that are like less than 30, that's called Craigslist, but it was a piece of paper. <laughs> and I, I went there and they had, it was the free, it was called the freebies. And it, you get to put a free ad in this thing. And it's where people would buy and they would sell their stuff. And so I went in there and I saw all these games and, and I would just, I called people and I said, Hey, I, I want to buy some games. And so I told my parents, Hey, I'll give you 10 bucks and I'll buy you pizza. If you take me to this place and I would go and negotiate. And so that was, I mean, that's where it started. And I, I knew where the games were, they were in the paper. And so I just reached out to him and kind of out of necessity. That's how I figured it out because I needed something. I needed something to happen and I, I used my brain. That's crazy at 11. And, and I mean, I know people have this innate entrepreneurial ability. Do you have any idea where yours came from? Is there like a distinct source? I, I think the source was pure frustration. And this is where I see a lot of people, they're sitting idle. People are just kind of like, they're not willing to be, they're not in enough pain to do something different. And my pain was, I was frustrated that I didn't have this opportunity or these these games and and most people that I look around and see complaining or they don't really do anything it's because they're not in enough pain it's very easy to, to just kind of exist right now and so when the pain gets big enough people tend to change but it's like abusive relationships we tend to stay in the known even though it hurts we don't want to go into the unknown and and so the pain gets big enough and you say okay the unknown couldn't be as bad as the known that's so painful right now I, I hear you about the pain. I mean, I wish I didn't have to go through it with my gambling addiction, but I did. And that's kind of what gave me the push. And, and then a lot of people have a similar thing. They have to hit a certain level of pain. I guess yours was, I mean, it's kind of lucky that you felt that pain so early and it wasn't so detrimental to you. Well, and, and it, this it's a silly thing um, to think about pain being you can't play Nintendo games, but it's, I think that's, there's a pain in all of our lives in some form or, or function, and we just have to identify mm. it and then be rational about it. And then we can use it as a source of inspiration to do something different and not just have a static life. Yeah, well, that's awesome. So so you you use this motivation, and then so you started making a little bit of money there, and did it just keep going from there? Yeah, it was. It, I think once you have that entrepreneurial blood in you, it's it's like being bitten by a vampire. Like you're in. I hear you. And, and it's you just keep going, and you, and you do things, and you're always hustling, and you're looking for things. And I made some funny mistakes, like I, those world's finest chocolates. As a kid, I was I would go sell those for a buck each, and you make a little profit doing them. The problem is, I was eating all my profits. You know, it's it's all those all those give us lessons and help us understand the realities of business. And it was, it was just by doing it. You really can't get all that stuff in a book. You really have to be willing to go out there and do things and stub your toe and maybe bleed a little bit. Yeah. And, and, but not everybody does it in, in the way that you did. And, and that, that means we don't learn uh, how money works until a little bit later. Do you find that that's what happens uh, with most people? I don't think most people learn about money their entire lives. And they go, and my dad was a great example where he kind of thought that he could, he knew about money because he had a job and he had a side hustle where he would buy and sell things, you know, used things. 
and I watched him, but the deeper problem was he didn't understand the psychology behind what was driving his decisions with money. He didn't understand the scarcity mentality, and he'd get excited about a win for a dollar. And, and the problem is he didn't understand the exchange of time where he was, uh, he was yeah, all excited spending days to make a few bucks. And I'd, I'd look at that and go, what are you thinking? You're not making any progress growing, and you're certainly not making any cash. You're, what value are you creating? So it's more of the psychology that people really have to understand and, and get feedback on as they're learning by doing. And that's the missing piece. It's not just understanding money and how money works. We can teach that all day long with the banking system or exchange of value, but it's the psychology and the emotional intelligence more than anything that drives all those decisions. And people wondering why they're not getting anywhere even though they're doing everything quote-unquote right or that they were taught, and it's the psychology then that's holding them back. It is, and, and the, we have to ask ourselves: What do we? What, what's our basis for understanding? Like most of us get our money intelligence from our parents, and it's not that our parent, our parents are bad people. They just did the best that they could, and they didn't really know. So we take on their stuff, and then we run with it. And then if we don't do that, or, or we take another source, it's typically school or our peers, and we wonder why we're stuck because we're getting bad information. It's like a collective information that's wrong, but we say, well, it must be right because everybody's doing it, everybody's talking about it, and that's just not true. So we have to start looking for alternative sources and people that have actually done things that, you know, it's like watching Shark Tank, for example. You want to understand business, see how things get funded, see how fast people make decisions and understand from people that have made hundreds of millions and billions of dollars how they decide. That's probably totally different from what you learned in an MBA program or high school or, or your parents. It's very, very different in reality versus the theory that you are taught and that we, we believe is true. Yeah, so 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 far you've you've learned uh, arbitrage and how not to eat your profits. And what was the what was the next uh, was there a next big uh, step uh, while you're still like a teenager? Well, it, it actually happened right at the end of the teenage years. I was I was in college and I, I went to college four times. I got thrown out three times. The third one, I, I went and I was I was studying engineering, and it was funny because I was really annoyed that used books cost. So, you know, they cost 75% of the full value, the new price. And then when you sell them back, you get half. And I thought, this is a total scam. So I went yeah. in and squeezed the margin. I played Walmart. And I, I basically was able to put a flyer in everybody's mailbox, get everybody to, to tell me what books they wanted to sell and, and what books they needed. And so the last week of school for the semester, I ran around campus grabbing books because I didn't have any money. I just grabbed books and moved them over to people that needed them and got money from them and then paid the other people back. And so basically I created this buy-sell thing and I paid for school inside of a week. But in the middle of this process, the, the president of the, of the university called me into his office and he said, you are literally putting the bookstore out of business. And I said, that's not my problem. They're, they're a monopoly and they have no competition and they're ripping everybody off. And he said, you got to stop. You can't have a business in your room. And I said, let me get back to you. And he said, no, the answer is you're going to either stop or we're going to kick you out. And I said, um, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. Well, I sped up my operation, finished up, paid for school and left. And it was basically, they were helping me with those, you know, shoe up my ass, getting me out of school. But I, I learned about monopolies and competition and finding a niche and, and, and squeezing the margins by doing that because I saw a problem. Somebody was screwing somebody else and I figured a way to help everybody other than the bookstore. And I had no allegiance to the bookstore. I had allegiance to people and creating value. And so that was the next big pop for me. And you also learned about how, you know, everyone's going to tell you that you can't do something because this is not how it's done. It, it, well, exactly. And one of the things that I remember doing was asking the post office, our, our campus post office, if I could put a flyer in everybody's box. I'm pretty sure that's like a federal offense, like it's against the law. <laughs> and, and they said, oh, sure, you want to give a notice, a flyer? And I said, yeah, I want to help people with their books. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, 
you know, people would say that's against the rules. You got to stamp an envelope. You got to mail it. That's conventional thinking. I mean, think about Uber. Mm. Uber went out there and just did this thing, and then they had all this this lashback. Whether you like Uber or not, the reality is yeah. they just decided to go f- do something, and and they dealt with the consequences. So you can ask for permission or ask for for, for forgiveness. Sometimes the consequences are brutal with forgiveness and thinking that'll work. But the truth is, if you're going to disrupt anything, if you're going to change your life, you're probably going to have to do something without everybody giving you permission. Yeah, and, and and it's really hard, you know, when when people are just pushing back on on you and and telling you that whatever idea it is you have, well, that's that'll never work. And you know, why are you why are you challenging the system? But you know, a lot of times it does work, and and we need to support that, don't we? I we, we do. It, this kind of reminds me of of when I went off I, after my my third go round with with college. I went off and decided to just say screw it. I'm out of school. I want to go and actually do something in the real world versus this ivory tower stuff. And I went out and started selling insurance and didn't feel like that was going to do enough for me in, in terms of what I, my goals were. And so I went to a seminar and decided to start buying real estate. And I got so much lashback from the conventional wisdom, these you know, parents and, and other people all asking yeah. me when I was going back to college. And I said, I am, I'm doing my real estate thing. And they thought that was crazy. But what I was seeing was events like the third house I bought six months in where I bought it and then I ended up selling it on a contract. And a guy came up to me and he handed me a $25,000 check when I was asking for $2,500. And that was his his down payment to me. And I just made this up out of thin air. And I thought, why would I go to college and make in a year what I just made in five minutes by using my brain and creating a solution to a problem, finding housing for somebody? And it just, it really told me there were different ways of, of doing things. And I had to, and then I, at that point, I just said, I'm not, I'm going to stop listening to the people that are the naysayers. I'm going to listen to the people that are on these books and tapes. And, and, you know, at the time there was no podcast, but there were a lot of tapes. And so I had friends that were cheering me on through my speakers. And that really worked for me because everybody else was telling me I was crazy. Well, and that's why we, we do these shows, right? There's people listening right now who have never heard your story and, uh, they want to know that this is possible. Maybe college didn't work out for them either. And they have this whole group of people or society, if you will, telling them that this is the path, this is the checklist, this is the way to do things. So, yeah, I'm glad you're here telling this, this story. Well, and, and think about what has, some of the things that have changed our lives. Think about the iPhone. Did Steve Jobs have somebody he was modeling? No, he made it up. He just said, I'm going to put all this cool stuff in this phone, your, your music, and now our entire lives are in this phone. He decided to create something. He saw it in his mind, and he was willing to take action without proof because the proof was his conviction and his belief in what 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 he saw was possible. And that's what we have to have. And the, the challenge with, with any of us is we don't necessarily start with the confidence because we don't have the proof. Once you've done something, and especially once you've failed at things, you realize, okay, it's not going to eat me. It's not going to kill me. And you see some success, you, you realize, oh, I can actually kind of create things and, and make them up and, and do good. Maybe it's not important for me to listen to everybody telling me what I can and can't do. I think that's part of the, the shift into having a, a free life, having, have a, having an awesome life. It's really being able to move without getting proof from other people. And, and sometimes that makes you a crazy person. And sometimes that, sometimes ma- that makes you a person that's making progress. So it, it kind of just, it, there's an ebb and flow to those two worlds. Yeah, well, I, like, I like a little bit of crazy in my life. Uh, so you're making money from real estate at this point, and you're done with college. So what, uh, like, what are you doing with this money? Are you, are you making money? You're learning how to invest, uh, like, outside of real estate, or is that just where you're you're headed? Well, that was that was one of the, the things that I did right uh, to a degree, where I 
I was investing and that's all I was doing. And and this is an important piece for people. I hear people saying, well, I'm doing some real estate and I've got a side business and I'm doing network marketing and, and I'm trading stocks and I'm, I'm doing currency. And, and I go, you are all over the place and you're probably not yeah. making any money in anything. And they go, well, yeah, uh, maybe, but I will be. And I say, no, you won't because you're not focused. You're not a laser. You're just a fractured set of light bulbs. That was one of the beauties. I stayed very focused on what I was doing. I got in trouble when I shifted. So for five years, I basically just bought houses and then leased them out. And I had had 150 houses, had about 20,000 a month in cash flow, and things were good. And then I made a whole bunch of money by selling off these houses because the market did really well. And I said, okay, this is time to exit and harvest some of the stuff. Had millions of dollars in cash. At that point, I decided I was going to get into everything because I had all these resources called dollars. And my yeah. ego took over. So I was in all these different states. I was in multifamily remodeling, 100-plus units. I was building towers in downtown Alabama. I was f flipping $4 million houses in Maine. Like I had stuff everywhere. And I was investing in car clubs and restaurants. So my focus went to a, a spray I was everywhere. And that's when I just absolutely got hammered and turned a $5 million positive net worth into a negative $5 million net worth in 12 months. That's the problem. Oh, wow. with it went focused. negative. Oh yeah. I went off a cliff and that's, that's what happens when you don't focus because you literally have no idea what's going on anywhere and you're just chasing shiny objects as a drunk squirrel. And this was, this is ego driving is, uh, can you elaborate a little more on, on that? Like what, do you remember what you were trying to achieve? Yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to showcase how, how, how smart I was. I mean, when you have millions of dollars and you're driving a Ferrari and you've had all the success and everybody calls you the golden boy and you're in your twenties, you really think you can do no wrong. You think you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And yeah. that's where I was. I had a lot of cash and no sense. So hmm. that, that was, that was what I was working with kind of a half deck of stupidity. And I just kept going until the universe landed at 747 on my head and stopped me because it was never going to be enough. So I had to get the lesson by losing everything. And that's when I had that reset, but it was because my ego took over and I wasn't willing to be humble or, or take a pause or anything i had to have more it was just a crazy egotistical uh, like drunk bender sure and what in what year is this just to give people some context this is about 10 years ago this is like 2008 so this is 2008 and the the crash is either coming or it's in the middle of happening and you are negative five million at this point yeah so in 2007 things started to come apart and i i sort of ignored it and so that's one of the things i see a lot of people doing they make a mistake and instead of owning it and saying okay i'm going to cut my losses they keep feeding the beast they go well i'm going to try to fix this and i look at them and i go you've already lost two hundred thousand, two million, whatever the number is but they won't admit they're wrong because they feel like that destroys their significance or their importance or or their value if they admit that they're wrong because people want to be perfect and they see they see perfection on magazine covers and on the internet. And the reality is our life is not a Facebook feed. That's a highlight reel. The reality is there's a lot more that's going on, a lot of problems. And making a mistake is actually the golden nugget. It's when you actually grow. And people ignore that and they don't, they don't realize that's the valuable space, not the success. It's actually the failures because that's where you learn. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree. And, and the, the problem is we're brought up in this uh, well, we were brought up. I hope it's changing now, but in this world of safety where, you know, you have to just stay safe. And if you make a mistake, that's bad. Or, well, even calling it a mistake is wrong. Right. Well, and think about where, we're, where we came from in, in school, in the Western school system. If you make a mistake, if you make 50% of your of your whatever, if you get those wrong, if they're not the correct answer, you're a loser. You failed. They flunk you yeah. out. They kick you out. 
And if you think about the real world outside of academic nonsense, if you look at the real world and you make 50% right, you're a freaking billionaire. You change the world. So how are they teaching us reality? They're not. They're teaching us something that's like it's perverse and it's screwed up. It's not right. So we've got to really start focusing on how do we screw up faster? How do we fail forward faster? That's where all the juice is. That's where we're going to have a life of fulfillment and contribution versus a life of safety and insignificance. It's such a great lesson. And, and I, I just had a, a, another serial entrepreneur on my show. And I just love what he said. He has kids now. And he said, you know, every day if I take my kids to the, the playground or the park, I actually hope that they get hurt. Right? I mean, it sounds, sounds terrible. But, you know, I, I, I get what he was saying. Like, he wants them to experience one version of the pain that you were talking about to be able to learn from that. Like, he doesn't want them to die. He doesn't want anything to, like, be permanent. But you got to go through stuff, right? That, that's the thing that I see a lot, with a lot of uh, entrepreneurial parents. They're, they're so afraid of their kids having the pain. Unfortunately, very few are like who the, the person you're talking about. They, they want to have security. So I hear them saying things like, Interesting. Well, I'm, I'm going to have my assets so that my kids have them. And I'm going, I don't want to see them hurting. So I'm going to have them at home. I'm going to, I'm going to create this bubble. They can always be at home and I'm going to have them do a job. Like they're going to be a doctor or something. And I go, you're literally wiring them for a life of crap. Yeah. And it's, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be a doctor, but it just means that you're setting them up for your own fear around them bleeding. And instead of what you suggested and this other person suggested, which is teach them how to stub their toe and not die. Yeah. Be okay with it. Yeah, exactly. Nobody dies from a stub toe. I mean, I've never heard of it, but it's probably very rare, but is this just a, a generation flip thing? Like, you know, the generation before wants the next generation to have it what they deem to be easier. And maybe these entrepreneurs that you're referring to, they had a bit of a struggle, which they don't want their kids to have for some reason. Like, wh why do we just keep flipping this? It's there's there's this weird sense that the pain is not something nobody wants to see their kids hurting. I mean, that's we want to protect. I, I get kids. that. Yeah. And so I think that that's what we push against. The, the truth is we create weakness when you don't have people that go through something. Uh, there's, there's a reason that the, the generation that went through World War II was called the greatest generation. They, they, they spent years in hell, and that's, that was part of their process yeah. of building up a reality around having to struggle and pushing through it. It built up a, a strength. And I don't think most, you know, most of the 20s and 30-year-olds haven't really gone through anything that was hard. I mean, let's be honest. There's, the Great Recession didn't really impact anybody unless they were you know, 30 plus and so the current 20s and 30 year olds they don't have no sense of what it is to actually struggle through something for the most part and this is a broad generalization but we don't we don't have a sense of actually having to have tenacity and and pushing through anything it's life is pretty easy and until we have a shakeup, we have a lot of weak people running around who are very entitled unfortunately in many cases yeah i would i would agree with you with like you know anybody who grew up in a i guess a middle class family uh, they're probably well taken care of. I guess it's people who are in other unfortunate situations that they, in a way, have a leg up, but they don't, though. It's, it's almost funny when, you, when, when I think about that, because I think that you're, that I would say that they do have a leg up if they're not, if they're in an unfortunate situation, because that struggle is, it's like when, when my, my dad pushed down and tried to keep me held down and told me how we didn't have anything and was focused on security, he pushed so hard that I had to push back so hard to push out of it. And it created that strength and that fire. If he mm. made it easy, I don't know that I would have been really all that aggressive, 
but I was aggressive and being told we can't afford this and having a car is too expensive. I was like 16 years old and a, and a day and I was out there buying a car and I was paying for insurance. And, and so it's being told, no, it can be a very powerful thing. No, you can't do it. And then there's, you see people that are broken. Their spirit is broken. They're told, no, I had a, my best friend growing up, his parents were basically telling him no his entire childhood and they kept him very weak. And I watched him as an adult become a very weak kind of pathetic human being. And that's, it was sad, but his parents had a huge impact on him and, uh, it's, and they broke his spirit, which is really, really sad when that happens. So it's a dance, but being in a, being in an unfortunate situation would almost to me be like a very fortunate event where it's not easy, where you're struggling and you have to be innovative and you have to have perseverance and tenacity and, and, and a willingness to, to push through all of the crap that gets thrown at you. So how did you crawl out of your, your $5 million hole? I, I went and asked for help. I mean, that was, that was one of the things that uh, when, when I was in that space, it wasn't as much the loss of the money. It was the loss of the confidence. And when, when, I, when I, all that money went away, because my self-worth and who I was as a human being was tied to the money, all of mm. a sudden I had this negative net worth. And it, you, it's easy to go very suicidal. I mean, to be very dark about this, it's very, sure. very challenging and it's very dangerous. So I, after a couple of years, I realized I needed help for a while. I just ignored it and pretended everything was okay, which is a great delusion. But I, I went and got help and I spent a couple of years working with somebody because we can't see ourselves. We're, we're too close to ourselves with the emotion and, and the scars and everything else. We're a little gun shy. And the truth is we could all use help. We could all use somebody that can give us perspective that we respect enough to listen to. And, and that's how I shifted through where I kind of, I reinvented myself and I, I wrote about this in reinvented life, the whole process of building things up based on an ego, losing it, having to figure it out, asking different questions. And, and that was what it was. It was a period of asking really the same question for two years. And the question is, what is true? Ask that question and go deeper and you'll find things that might scare you to death and they'll set you free at the same time. Yeah. So what was your first step? What, like, you got help. Uh, can you talk about like uh, what type of person this was, like a coach of some kind? It was, yes. Yeah, so I went to somebody and, and now he's, he's a, a therapist and it was, it was kind of a combo of, of coaching and, and therapy and it was a different level. It wasn't just somebody that let me sit there and, and ramble on. I think a lot of times people do therapy and I, I hear about it and they say, yeah, I've been doing this therapy thing for five years. And I go, so what's different? well, I just really like my therapist. And I go, oh, you basically bought a friend. Man, go buy a dog because your therapist isn't doing you any good. It's just making you feel good about yourself, but you're not really breaking through to anything. What he did is he held space and he didn't let me out of the truth. So when I would, we would ask that question and he would sit there and he didn't say a whole lot for two years. He, he basically held the space for me to go deeper because I was willing to change. You cannot fix yourself if you're not willing to commit to it. If I hear people saying, I want something different, but then they won't take any action that actually gets them going in a different direction. They just keep going in the same direction. They go, I've got a therapist and I've got a coach and then I'm reading these books and then they keep just don't going down the same path. Then you got to take a left or a right. You got to move. But people don't want to do that because it's uncomfortable. So I was willing to go very uncomfortable. The first step was saying, I am in all in. I don't want the past to be my future. So I need to rewire myself and go deep into the truth. And the truth was I was a dick. I was a terrible person. Okay, yeah. That was what I was willing to admit. And when I did that, mm. it changed everything because I could start reforming and re reinventing my life and going to the truth, which is there's a great person there, but he was sort of hiding behind and underneath all the crap. That's awesome. So you found the real you, 
And was there a significant first step that the real you took? The re- I think, yeah, the biggest thing that I really started focusing on that became the anchor was was teaching. It was teaching what I knew. It was, and mm. I, this is where I started going deeper and deeper into martial arts. Ultimately, that led to me creating Yokido, my my martial art, which is a blend of yoga and Aikido and Reiki. That sounds so awesome. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. That was important to me. Uh, part of us wants to contribute to others. There, for everybody, there's a contribution piece that just wants to come out. That's what I had gone deep into. So I think it's really sort of sad when people say, I want to teach this thing. I've, I spent the last week learning about it, and then I'm going to be a master. And I'm, and I'm like, you don't have any depth. You know, like, let's go deep into it. And then come out and really share something based on experiences and knowledge. And so f- 14, 15 years of training and deep, you know, deep experience was something that I wanted to be able to share. And it wasn't even a want. It was I had to. And if you have yeah. something that you have to teach, you have to get out, that's what's exciting because it's just it's so powerful that people are drawn to it. The right people are drawn to it. So that's that's what happened over the next five, six years was me just spending a lot of time, countless thousands of hours, teaching and learning and going deeper into that space and sharing that with the world. And was there, was there a focus on uh, income uh, as part of this or did the income just come naturally the income it shifted because back in the in the 2000s when i was in my 20s the focus was was money it was finding a way to get money instead of finding a way to contribute to people with something that they would value where the marketplace and people said yeah we want that and letting the money be a side effect we we tend to be fixated on the security of money trying to find money and it it, i get it you got to have money you got to be able to feed yourselves but we've become obsessed with this idea of more money is going to make us happier. And the truth is it doesn't take that much. I mean, that there's a magic number of around $60,000 that beyond that, it's a diminishing return. And especially nowadays, it doesn't take all that much. If you show up at work and you commit and you're there, 60000 is a non-event. I mean, I'm telling you right now, if you're making less than 60000 it's because you're not showing up with a great attitude and willing to learn. Because that's all it really takes to make make what you need to be generally happy. Nowadays, I'm thinking about how do I have a greater contribution? How do I have a greater impact? And it's because I don't want to have the same conversation my dad had with me before he died four years ago where he looked at me and he said, you know, there were just so many things that I wanted to do and I don't have any time. Uh, you know, he was, he was in his last weeks of his life. He was, he was done and he had played it safe. He had played not to lose and that is – that, that is me seeing somebody that didn't commit to tapping into his potential and contributing the way that he could have. I'm not willing to do that. So now the focus is how do I impact more people? My mission is to free a million people from financial bondage. I can't do that. One person here and one person there make a few bucks thinking about how I'm going to make $100,000 a year. I got to figure out how I can impact 10, 20,000 people a year to start. And that is a bigger, bigger mission. It's a bigger focus. The money is a huge, easy side effect if you're totally committed to that mission and that vision. That's what we got to start with. What is the mission and the vision? I mean, if you don't have that, you're never really going to have a lot of a lot of cash, a lot of income, because you're not really impacting enough. So, how did you figure out how to do that? Like, you, did you start by trying to change people like one at a time, or did you start like with groups? The, the the thing that I, I asked was, what do I know? And what, what am I really powerful at? What am I good at? What do, and, and then once I thought I knew something, I wrote a book about it. 
And it's really sure. fascinating how you realize how little you know when you write a book about something. You go, wow, I just don't know anything about this. <laughs> it's because it seems so clear in your mind. And then when you write it down, people say, oh, yeah, I have a vision for my life. And I say, where is it? And they go, I think about it all the time. And I say, you don't have a clue what it actually is. And they go, no, I can see it. I'm like, is it in front of you? Have you actually written the words about how it feels for that vision, each part of it? And and so that's that was the shift where I – I, I said, okay, well, how, how am I going to, how am I going to do that with, with this, this big vision? What, what am I going to do? And I realized I've got some assets I can tap into based on experiences that are, that are just me, that where I'm not a commodity. And, and so I showed up to serve people in a way where I could provide a book and a book is, is awesome because you can actually share it with tens or hundreds of thousands, millions of people. And the, the, the space we live in with the internet right now, if you have something of value and you share it, it's not one at a time. It's not a coffee shop conversation. You're able mm. to actually touch the whole world. I mean, we, we live in the greatest time in human history for being able to impact and share ideas and value. The problem is people are just trying to copy other people and they're trying to figure out how they, how they can have the best Brussels sprout photo on Instagram and that's going to be the value. Nobody cares. It's not, it's not valuable. It's just something that makes you feel fun. So the, the question is, what do you do? And, and so what did I do? I wrote the books and then I started asking people how I could serve their people. So you go to people and you say, here's what I've got. And I would love to share and serve. I'm not asking mm. for anything. I just, I, other than I want an opportunity to share, here's why it's valuable. And people start picking that up. If you say, Hey, I want to figure out how we can make money together. Not the same conversation. Ask people how you can serve. It's amazing the response you'll get when you're really authentic about that. It has to be authentic, though. You can't just say, I want to serve, but I'm going to get a bunch of money. Like If that's really the underlying thing, people can feel it, and you're not going to get any traction. Yeah, so so the book, and what are other ways that uh, you ended up serving or you do now? Well, part of it is is being being with you here and sharing. I mean, there's mm -hmm. millions of people have heard my story at this point. They've heard about these ideas. They've heard different things that I've gone through, and and it takes a lot of time. I mean, it's you can you can have an automated email system. You can post something on Facebook, and you can hack an Amazon system of of selling stuff that you import from China. These are all options. The problem is they don't really take much time if if you're doing the easy ones, and if you're following Tim Ferriss. With And I liked him, by the way. I, I was just thinking about Tim when you said that, yeah. <laughs> if you want to hack your way into something, you're going to hack your way into poverty and misery probably. But the, the truth is if you go and you contribute and you spend time engaging in other people's lives to make their lives better, you're probably going to end up having an offshoot being that your life gets better and better. And so I spend a lot of time figuring out how to serve larger and larger audiences. Sometimes it's one-on-one. -on -one. I spend most of my time figuring out how I can do that in, in a larger way. Instead of trying to just collect cash, cash shows up if you're willing to contribute to a large number of people in a deep and meaningful way. And so that's what I do now. Focusing on that changes everything. I'm glad that you mentioned Tim Ferriss because, yeah, the the, the way that, uh, you know, say the four-hour work week is presented is just like here's how to make money uh, without meaning. That's really what it what it comes down to, isn't it? Yeah, I, like, I would say the same thing. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, and and like, I don't know, maybe that's good to get to build up some money then to do some good with, but I just, it seems so pointless to me. It, it is pointless. And it's, it's a terrible basis because then you think, you know, you make your first thousand or first 10,000, you go, cool, I'm going to do that again. You're never going to actually find an end point. Like having, having that as your focus, I see, I have a, a friend of mine that uh, he's actually another, he's a Canadian and really great guy. And he was on this mission and it was a really cool mission. I was really excited for him. And then he got totally derailed 
uh, focusing on an Amazon store. And I said, what are you actually doing? He goes, I've got this whole system and I'm importing from China and I've got these products. And I go, all right, so that's your focus. And it completely took him off his path, his his actual purpose. His purpose was not to be building up massive Amazon stores to sell a bunch of plastic crap. But he, he yeah. got talked into that being a, a plan. And I go, there's a lot of ways to make money to sustain your life where you're actually doing something that's meaningful. I mean, more consumption based on junk that you're sifting through an Amazon platform are you really doing anything valuable? Does the world need you? I would say no. I would say the world doesn't need that. It doesn't need another one of those. How do you how do you know the the line? Is it like if you're being creative? Yeah, is it creativity? What what is it that uh, makes it something that's meaningful? I, I think you have to, you ask a better question. The question is how am I serving with what yeah. I'm doing right now? How am I serving? If you're amongst ten people and you're trying to find better copy to get somebody excited to buy some junk that's going to sit in their cupboard or their basement or something. Are you really serving anybody with anything? And I see that's what I've seen more and more of is is Amazon's getting into everything, and I see them really finding a way to get people excited about consuming more crap that they don't need with money they don't have to impress people that they don't know. I mean, it's an insane process that people mm-hmm. are going through, and people are, and other guys like my friends feeding into that system by trying to become a part of the cogs. And I, I think you can tell if you just ask the question, how is this serving anybody? If you say, well, they're getting, they're, they're getting awareness for my new piece of junk that I'm going to sell them, I go, that's probably not serving, and you're probably going to stay broke. So maybe reassess. There's probably something else you can do where you're going to make – you're going to create value. It's going to re- result in, in money showing up, and it's not going to be you trading your soul for a bunch of junk. Yeah, I, I, like, I like that perspective because, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think people just think about that. I think they're just like, I can do this, so – I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it until what until I retire. I I read that you don't like the idea of retirement. Well, this is the other this is one of the biggest fallacies out there. I mean, the think about what re- retirement is. It's a new idea. It's only 100 years old and it really came back in the early 20th century. It was the idea that we're going to have people looked at as machinery and animals. If you think about a farm yeah. or an industrial age factory, when a piece of machinery was done, it was used up, it was retired. They buried it yeah. in a junkyard. If an animal was was too old to actually mill or to, you know, to drag across a field, they basically took it out of the back and shot it. I mean, this is what you did when you retired something. And so now people are are going to be done contributing and they say, "Okay, you're retired at this age and then you're done." Well, at the time, the retirement was like 60 whatever years old and these things like social security were set up as these backdrops for you becoming an animal that just wouldn't be that wasn't willing to die on time and so they kind of had a safety net well then people started thinking oh this is good i just work for 20 years and then i stop and i retire well here's the thing the universe looks at you and says you're not contributing you're just taking up space and resources there's a reason why in north america the average male is dead within three years of retiring because they're not contributing. They're mentally not engaging. They're not doing anything of value. Golfing is not contributing to society. And if you're not contributing, the universe pulls the plug on the, on you being useful to the whole system. That is a fact. You just look at the stats. And so that's why I say retirement is a death sentence. Don't ever retire. Find something you love. Fall in love with it. Why would you stop doing the contribution when you're 55, 60 years old, when you have 30, 40 years of wisdom? That's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Yeah, it's actually the golden period, isn't it? I was only able to start my own business as as you were as well or you know start this meaningful business after experience. And so, yeah, after 40 years of experience, 
how much better can we serve, right? That, that's that's the key. It's, it's why I say one of my rules for, for people when they're saying, well, what do I do? I'm I, like, I don't even know what to do. Go find somebody bald or gray. You know, find somebody that's been out there that's that has been in the real world and, and help you. You know, they can help guide you to past your fears, past your insecurities with a sense of what's coming that you can't see because you haven't been through it yet. Like that's one of the greatest things you can do. And there's a lot of people like I, I love when people ask me for help. The part I don't like is when somebody asks for me for help and doesn't listen to my advice or they just ignore it and they waste mm. my time. That's what makes me crazy. So people go, well, I'm trying to find a mentor. I'm like, no, you're trying to suck somebody's brain and you're not going to do anything. You're going to reject it. And you, and you know what? You come to me and, I, and I'll say, Here, here's the book I think you should start with. And they don't read the book. They don't come back. They just wasted a half an hour, an hour of my life. I can't get back. It pisses me off. But you come back and you say, I read that book. Here's what I took away from it. And what else you got? Man, I'm going to spend time and energy investing in your future. So you want to have a leg up. Follow the advice of people that you ask for help from. I mean, that, that will change your life. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really glad you're on the, the good side now. <laughs> okay, it's embarrassing thinking about what it was before, but I had to go through that. It's like, <laughs> it's like love and, and, and death or you know, life and death or you know, love and loss. You, you, you ever, to understand one, you have to have the, the opposite. It's the yin and the yang of the world. And, and if you're going to understand contribution, you have to really understand consumption. And I was, a, I was like the world's greatest consumer. It was like the hedonistic mm. approach to life. That was my, my mantra. It was terrible. But I didn't know it was terrible until I'd gone through it and was like, oh, that's not what the universe wants from me. Like that is a really bad plan. So I, you know, I had to go through it. I think we all have to go through things to get to the thing, get to the, the actual part of us. I don't think you just start there. I think you're absolutely right. And I'm glad you went through what you did. I'm sorry that you did. And, you know, I'm sorry that we all have to go through these kinds of things, the, the pain. But it, it, as you said, it's, it's essential to figuring out the real us. And some people never get there. Unfortunately, I think there's a, there's a lot of fear about the pain of, of making a mistake. Part of it is the identity problem where we think that making a mistake makes us the mistake. And so mm. we tend to hesitate. So we're always stuck in this lukewarm existence instead of really going and experiencing hot and cold. And we, we go, ah, it's too extreme. We just want to go through. We want to just like have an easy life. Yeah, you know, the universe doesn't do flat. Either you're growing or you're dying. And, and if you say, I'm good, I just want to get to X millions of dollars and then I'm good. No, you're not. You're on a coast. To, you're just tiptoeing to death's door. That's all you're doing. So do you really want to have that or do you want to have a life of engagement and an and interesting experience? I mean, ask yourself, what are you really wanting in life? I see people all the time that are retired and they just sit there. You want to see the worst of society? Go to a casino and see these people mm. on oxygen that are about 200 pounds overweight at 3 o'clock in the morning eating a pile of, of chicken wings and drinking a, a martini. And they're sitting there just hitting these buttons with these flashy things, losing all the, the money. I mean, it's, it's pathetic to see where people go when they have no purpose. That's a great example. That's kind of the worst of in, in many cases. Yeah, the, the, this is all awesome stuff. But you have to go because you have something else in two minutes. So... I thank you so much for, for being on the show. This is very, very enlightening, and I want you to tell people where they can find out more about you. The, the, you know, the, what I would love to do is, is have everybody go to reinvention.net, and there's a lot of places you can find stuff about me. You can find my books on Amazon and, and things. But if you go to reinvention.net, there's a, there's a downloadable workbook for the 
it's all the questions inside of my book, Reinvented Life. And if you download that, you're going to have some really interesting questions, many of which you've never, you will have never heard before. And it's going to give you something to do that will start creating some confidence around new ideas that you're going to engage with that you've probably never explored before. So go to reinvention.net, get that, that downloadable workbook and do something with it. Don't print it out and put it in your freaking desk or, or shelf. Like do something with it. And write out the answers to those questions and think about it. And and then reach out to me and let me know if there's anything I can do to help you with whatever you get stuck on. Perfect. This, that's great. So thanks so much for coming on, Damien. And uh, hopefully we'll get to meet someday. That sounds good, bro. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or however you get your podcasts. And while you're there... Please leave me a five-star rating or review or both. If you're already a subscriber, thanks so much. I'd love to get your feedback on this episode in my new Facebook group. To find the group, go to Facebook and search for The Personal Finance Show. Once you're approved, you'll be able to interact with me and previous guests of the show and other fans as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Personal Finance Show. I'll be back next week with Jackie Lamb from HeyFreelancer.com.